Welcome back, everybody. This is Eric and Matt, and this is Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit, your beacon of freedom and the American way of life. Tune in every Friday for a new episode as we dive into the world of liberty and what makes our country great. All right, guys, welcome back to LLP. This is Matt and Eric here. Hello. All right. It's been a wonderful week, and we're looking forward to diving into some new LLP episodes. Oh, yeah, man. It's been a while. It has, man. It's been too long, in fact. <laughs> yeah. I mean, life has a way of catching up with us, and as much as you want to get in here and do these episodes, you know, we, we both have businesses to run as well. That's right. <laughs> well, we got some awesome stuff we're going to be talking about today. I can't wait to dive into this one. Um, in light of recent events and in light of some of the things that have been going on in the world, uh, namely some of Biden's statements about the frame and receiver rule, we thought it would be fun uh, to talk about some of the coolest technological advancements that have happened in the gun world maybe in the last couple of decades. So we are going to dive into this. It's going to be a ton of fun. I would like to very quickly give a quick shout out to our friends at RMA Body Armor. Uh, they have some amazing armor offerings. If you use our code IV8888, you can receive a 10% discount, uh, which is great. You know, body armor is one of the most passive ways that you can protect yourself. Even if you're not a gun person, you, know, you can definitely appreciate the ability to stop projectiles with body armor. Um, That's right. Definitely a great, great way to get into it. All American made, uh, American designed. Really good group of people, veteran-owned company. So check them out, RMA Body Armor. And what was that website? Uh, RMADefense.com. Go to RMADefense.com. Great Thank stuff. You know. Great, great stuff. Wonderful. And we've done a lot of testing on their stuff. It's, it's held up really good, uh, really good group of people. And we appreciate their support of both Iraq Veteran 8888 and LLP. So we were throwing around different concepts here for uh, today's podcast. And so this technology thing, it's, it's so crazy to think about the increases of technology and all of the advancements in technology that we've seen uh, in the last 50, 60 years, but namely in the firearms world, it seems like it's just almost been a renaissance of technology in a oh, way yeah. that, uh, whether it's manufacturing processes, whether it's the materials that are used in those manufacturing processes, um, whether it's, let's say, we can we can touch on some of the, uh, you know, um, component, uh, reloading component, advancements that have been made mm -hmm. in bullet design and, and powders and everything like that. So it's just crazy to think that never before have people had a better access to awesome technology to protect themselves with, to hunt with, um, all that sort of stuff than ever before. And right. not only that is, but Matt, like the, the culture is changing too. Like there's been an extreme swing of firearms culture and it's being accepted by a much wider variety of people across many different walks of life. And as a result, it it's kind of can be a little off-putting at first in a way because the end user is sitting here going, oh my gosh, all these options. Was, what, what the heck do I buy? Like, what's good? What isn't? I mean, like, it can almost be a little overwhelming. There's so much cool stuff out there that oh, yeah. it's, it's a lot to choose from. Absolutely. And there's a ton of cool stuff. But, and on the op opposite end of the spectrum, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't look cool when you go on the case and... You know, I just want to point out the advancements in technology, firearms technology have been pretty prolific in the last, I would say, decade, the last 10 years, the last 15 years. That's really where you saw uh, a lot of the, the bulk of the innovations. Before that, it was really a, a plateau. It's like a lull of just like not really anything going on. Everybody's kind of just, you know, towing the line. They're, they're creating weapons or firearms and they're, they're all doing the same thing. Personally, what I think was the 
biggest innovation in firearms in the last decade, decade and a half was just metallurgy and being able to uh, handle higher chamber pressures because that allows you to make the the gun smaller but still have the same capability of like a, a larger firearm. Yeah, you're you're getting a lot more, you know, recoil impulse. It's a lot less mass, but the ability to really scale that firearm down um, and making it more accessible and carryable to a, a larger group of people. Like to me, that t- number one for me is just the ability to to have higher chamber pressures uh, in that firearm. It is crazy too how when you look at. You know, since we're talking about carry pistols, mm-hmm. we can kind of dive into that a little bit. And, well, and to talk me, that that to me, and I, I brought that up because that's really like the bulk of it is like the if they can make it more accessible to people carrying it, then you're opening that door to a lot more people, and that's where you kind of see a lot more innovation because they're they're catering to a larger group of you know a larger sample size. You know, it's it's kind of crazy when you think about different carry pistols and you think of what's been out there over the years and you look at something like the Smith & Wesson Shield, mm-hmm. uh, which as a single stack is definitely um, a legacy type of pistol at this point. You know, it's still in production even in single stack. I don't foresee Smith & Wesson ever dropping the single stack shield, but you nope. see now we got the Shield Plus, which is a double stack, and you see that what sort of pressured that innovation, if you will, to piggyback on your pressure <laughs> comment there. Yes. Um, is like the SIG P365 is a gun that really set the concealed carry world on fire. It set the standard. And completely capacity. set the standard for the way that we view these types of things, right? So what's cool about the 365 is, you know, yeah, it's polymer frame. That's cool. I mean, but is a polymer frame really that much of a crazy advancement that we can look at and say, all right, well, that's new. Well, Glock did it back in 1980. So let's say that polymers are here to stay. Right. Like it's so interesting to think about like what John Browning would do with polymers if they existed back when he was designing guns. Yep. Would John Browning say, oh, that polymer, no, no one's ever going to make a gun out of that. I digress. But the point is, though, everybody associates a P365 and the innovation with that being, all right, maybe better metallurgy, better finishes, um, you know, being able to kind of get this smaller technology, get get a carry pistol that can be physically smaller and still just as capable as something like a Glock 19, uh, which is one of the most common concealed carry pistols out there leading mm-hmm. up to like the 365 and the Shield Plus. However, I believe one thing that gets pushed to the wayside on that technological advancement the most tends to be the fact that the trigger pack is modular on that series yes, of pistols. Absolutely. So the serialized component is actually the trigger assembly on the P365 and on the M17 P320 series of yep. pistols. And that, in my opinion, is probably one of the most unique uh, advancements in, you know, let's just say the legal struggle of firearms ownership. Because now, with that assembly, you can now change out modules, you can change out to the, uh, I don't have my flux raider, but like mm-hmm. you can change out, you know, put it in a flux chassis. So yep. that gives you a lot of flexibility to be able to play around with it. But they also sold different frames. You could get, you could, you know, if you were confident in your ability to change out that frame and trigger pack, you could go from a compact to a full size, you know, and, and they made those available. And I know SIG is like well known for doing it and winning the military contract, but and to my knowledge, the first people to do it was Zev, uh, and Zev was really that innovator of like dropping in, like f- separating the trigger pack and the receiver, and making you making it to where you could change out to different sizes. And you could go on their website, 
um, and buy different ones. You're like, oh, I want a compact. And then you could buy a different frame for like 150 bucks and you could just switch it out. Um, yeah. Now, are they, are they the, you know, de facto best? No, but they were the, one of the first. But it is a bougie gun and they are nice is. and they oh, shoot no exceptionally doubt. well. I carry one. So you know, shout out to Zev. <laughs> that's right. And, um, you know, it, it's funny how when you look at, you know, the SIGs and everything and uh, and all – that military contract, it was kind of telling. I mean, Glock. The only, I think, the only reason Glock didn't win the contract was because Sig was the price, the, the price leader. I agree. So they did come in at a lower price. Is that to say that the M17 or that series of gun is just as good as a Glock or better than a Glock or superior to a Glock? I don't think the government really looked at it in that way. I think they were, it was strictly a numbers game because it was a huge difference in the two pistols in terms of what they were going to cost. Well, there were some there were some shenanigans going around around yeah. there with the ammo and like. And like, uh, they are bundling the ammo and the. I don't want to get into that yeah, particular let's not do conversation. That. However, I would like to mention that with the P365, well, I don't know about the 365, but on the M17 and the P320s, uh, you know, Wilson Combat does make their frame and it's our great drop in unit that does Love not Wilson cost a, a ton of money. Uh, you know, they're very affordable. Uh, they're very functional and provide a lot of, you know, nice texture to the grip, very functional rail system, everything like that. So, um, I think in terms of advancements, that's one of the most unique things that we've seen is that trigger pack in the P365 and the M17. That's a good choice. But I think that it segues very effectively into one of the next technological changes I'd like to add is also you look at the prevalence of 3D printing mm-hmm. and all of these people that are taking these STL files and making, um, let's just say different changes, all right, uh, and everything. And what's so cool about that is you've got guys that can, as long as they have that uh, trigger pack assembly, like you know, which is the registered, you know, or let's just say the, the component that transfers on a forty four seventy three, correct, from Sig is that trigger component. I mean, now when you buy a gun, you're buying the complete pistol, but you can buy the individual trigger packs too. So for the DIY crowd and the three D printing crowd, that's awesome because then, uh, not to say that I. I mean, look, I love the flux. It's great, right? But there's people that are like doing their own takes on that same flux design and making yeah. little minor changes. There's like two or three of them out there. There's a few of them out there. But that's cool, the fact that you can 3D print that and then throw that in there. And now you've got something that's just kind of unique and cool. And all it costs you is a little bit of uh, material and some time and a little expertise and know-how, which I, I think that's refreshing. It's cool that people can make little minor modifications because I, I kind of see – this mod crowd in the 3D printing world that I hate to make this comparison, but I think it's a valid comparison is that the people that are making these mods to these frames and stuff to work around these parts kits and put together their own homemade firearms, which is a completely legal activity. 100% Um, I almost compare them to the same people that like mod games and mod map packs and video games. Like there's always going to be those people that want to make their own weapon skins and video games and make their own levels and the generation of Americans that are 3D printing these guns are the same generation of Americans that are heavy into video games and they're heavy into customization and they're heavy into meme guns. And I think it's kind of cool that you can make a frame that, yeah, it's like a meme gun, but at the mm-hmm. end of the day, you can still just pull the pack out and put it in your more useful piece too. Yeah. Like it, it, it only costs you a little bit of material to 3D print something crazy. Like I saw on um, Twitter the other day, a guy had made a Glock frame that had a bong on it. <laughs> it was a 3D printed bong 
And it was a Glock bong. That's absolutely a Glock awesome. or whatever he called it. It was just funny, right? Like, is <laughs> it practical? No, yeah, a Glock. <laughs> is it practical? No, but is it funny? Yes. And 3D printing provides that memeable yep. means. And I think that our government tends to think, oh, well, 3D printing is a terrible thing, and people are trying to create guns off the books, and felons are trying to create guns off the books, and that's the reasoning for 3D printing. But that is not true. The 3D printing crowd are some of the coolest people you will ever meet. They're so friendly, and they just love to do so much cool stuff. And, and yep. what's wrong with that? What's wrong with ingenuity? You know, you know it's just that's fascinating the, to me. And, you know, I think that, you know, you really hit the nail on the head is that it there it's one, 100 percent legal to do it. And two, it gives you an outlet to express yourself um, and you yeah. have the ability to do stuff like a glong or, or something yeah. like that. And, you know, they might be meme guns, but it it might. The the person that's looking at that IG post or whatever might see that and go, man, that's a really cool. I'm going to try this. And yeah. that thing that they try might actually be something innovative because yeah. and they got the inspiration from a meme gun that's right. so and it might inspire people to go you know i never thought about guns but you know what i think i might buy a firearm because this just seems like a cool group of yeah. people to be involved in and they're all friendly and they're all you know they, they help people out share files i mean it, it's a community mm -hmm. right and uh i seriously doubt boys and girls that you're going to be able to contact glock and get the bong attachment for no, the glock pistol no, don't so, think uh, so. You're, you're going to have to make that yourself i'm afraid so if we look at what we're looking <laughs> at so i said chamber pressures and you said you know um you know trigger pack frame and frame accessories and stuff so where did all that originally come from that came in my opinion that came from the original micro which was the bodyguard so the bodyguard and 380 acp from smith and wesson real tiny bodyguard gun like it was called the bodyguard because it was made for pocket carry or what they call ultra deep conceal carry and that was because at that time they lacked the chamber pressure ability to put a larger round and it was 380 real small and then they came out with the shield and then that was innovative it was a single stack i used to carry one i had a 2.0 very very comfortable and then what happened? They had the P365 come out and they innovated with the mag capacity. That was like the first, you know, I'm not going to say micro, but it was, it, it was like one step above a micro. It was think, a big deal. Yeah. I mean, it was about one and a half inches larger than a shield at the time, but it carried 10 rounds, I believe. Was it 10 or uh, 12 rounds mm -hmm. and that size of, of, a, of a pistol? And then you had a whole bunch of guys dogpiling that. You had the Hellcat come out that was like very similar. But the innovation there wasn't chamber pressure. It was mag capacity. So how are they configuring these magazines that are the same size to hold more rounds and still be reliable? Sure. You know, outside of, okay, guys, I know what you're going to scream in the comment section about reliability and the primer strikes. We get it. That was resolved. We've tested it here. Uh, you know, we've done some video. Yeah. The XL came out, the P365 XL. I've held it. Great gun. I mean, it feels super comfortable. Again, that innovation where they're really contouring it to fit your hands a little bit better. They're increasing the scale of the actual weapon, like another one inch, one and a half inch, similar to like a, a Glock 19. Get a little more sight radius. Yep. Get longer nice. sight radius. Better um, trigger bow. And, and this is where you kind of see all of that innovation come in. So, all right. So now where are we at now? Um, out, if we're sticking to handguns, you have like the alien. I mean, now you start saying, all right, well, so we've, we've seen what we can do with mag capacity. We've seen what we, what we can do with comfort. Now we're going to start messing with like 
sight over bore radius. And we're going to lower that bore radius into the actual gun. So now you're getting all of the mag capacity, all of the comfort, and now you're getting like the super unique recoil impulse where it's not yeah. coming up and over, it's coming through. Yeah. And it's just like, it's a really, lot less flip. It's putting that recoil yes. more in line so with your You're arm. not getting the muzzle flip that you would get off of, say like, you know, a, a, a regular traditional firearm. And when you see that kind of stuff and you're just like, well, where's it going to go next? Is it going to become like this, like attachment in like, where is it just permanently attached to your hand all the time? And you just have like these guns popping out of your wrist. So, <laughs> It's just unique to see where it's going. I mean, yes, the alien is priced at a price point that's out of, you know, the realm of possibility for 90% of people, but it is cool. It is. It is worth noting that sometimes those crazy and extreme technologies that we see uh, wind up being the standard technologies that we see in the future. Yeah. And I mean, as it scales up, you might see other companies license it. And if mm -hmm. they're saying, hey, go ahead and license this, you might have a larger company like say a SIG or a Smith and Wesson say, you know, let's try that. Let's just, let's see how it goes. Science fiction more times than not winds up becoming science fact, because you, you got to remember that like when, when an idea is in your head, that means it can also be made eventually. Right. Yeah. So ideas are a dime a dozen. We can all talk about, well, we'd like to see, I don't know, a predator type blaster on our shoulder <laughs> That looks where we look. Well, we have the technology to make that. Like, there's no reason not to. Mm-hmm. You could put a Glock 18 on your shoulder, uh, a, chop the the grip stick off, and, and put a Glock 18 on your shoulder or something like that, and have an articulating mm-hmm. mount that looks where you look. And when you click your jaw, it shoots. Or, I mean, there's all kinds right. of things you could do. <laughs> I mean, but the point is, um, I want to kind of go back to what you're talking about on the Smith and Wesson compact pistols. Mm-hmm. Um, like polymer frame small guns are not necessarily a super new thing. Uh, they've been around a while, but the designs have greatly, greatly changed over the years. And um, also, I think it's worth noting, too, that I think in the big scheme of things that polymer blends have gotten much better over the years as well. Um, I think that that is most certainly an objectively true uh, statement. Uh, some of the uh, the much older Smith & Wesson compact pistols, um, there was one model, I think they called it, the SW99 or something to that effect or whatever. Uh, it was like a small compact carry pistol that had this like weird magazine with these two tabs on the side and you would squeeze it to remove it. And I remember that frame being really flexible. And I recall a few of those frames coming in that had definitely issues <laughs> over time. So, I mean, they have improved the uh, concealed carry, small polymer frame compact, you know, carry pistol type of idea. Um, that, that has come full circle for sure with things like the Shield and things like the P365. And of course, we discussed 3D printing. Um, with that modular trigger pack in the P365, <laughs> I would love to see a micro flux oh, uh, using that trigger p- pack. And, you know, granted, yeah, the little 15 shot mags, but gosh, I mean, imagine that thing could be so tiny. Ugh. It would be super, super small. That's something I'd like to see if any of you 3D printing folks are listening. You need to scale that thing down and throw a P365 pack in it. That would be epic. Just so, saying. All right. Yep. So <clears throat> part we, we talked about the advancements, advancements in actual you know technology and function. We cannot skip over the aesthetics of it. The guns have gotten sexier. They just, yeah. <laughs> they just have. And 
you know, as much as we all in the firearms world like to say, well, f- you know, form over or function over form. And, you know, if it, if it works and it's reliable, it shouldn't matter what it looks like. Well, you tell that to the guys at HK that are making these sexy VP9s and the guys like the 365 XL is a great looking gun. It is. And you know what? I'm not trying to throw shade at Smith, but that CSX, man, it's just not quite the looker. And if you see those things sitting on the shelves... Just look at it. Look at it. It doesn't look good. All right. And Smith, no shade on you, but the gun's not sexy. It might work, but it's not sexy. I haven't had a chance to get my hands on that particular pistol yet, but I would like to try one out and mm-hmm. do a video at some point. So I'll, I'll probably, I'll probably uh, holler at Smith and get one out so we can check yep. it out. I mean, I think for folks that are looking for, let's just say a traditional looking pistol and maybe something yeah. that kind of marries a bit of new and old. Mm-hmm. I think it excels in that format quite well, especially when, you know, there are a lot of folks that are used to that kind of traditional 1911, like, uh, you know, form and function yeah, and that manual of arms yeah. and things like that. So it does fit a niche of people that want a pistol in that type of of uh type of regimen. I mean, especially when you compare like Kimber, you know, mm-hmm. they they've always been known at being a company that makes a lot of those micro 1911s that have yeah. held up quite good over the years and the Kimber Solo, um some of the other guns that they make. So, Kimber's done a great job too of innovating like what we feel like a 1911 should be, right? Yeah. Like when you think about a rattly old World War II 1911, which is a great gun, mm-hmm. uh the 1911s come a long way oh, and yeah. refuses to die. Well, look what they've done with Wilson. <laughs> we'll, we'll look at Wilson Combat. Sexy 1911s. Now, they do make, you know, SIGs and stuff like that, too. Mm-hmm. So, staccato. To the, I mean, come on, man. Yeah. You cannot, Who can't like that? Yeah. You look at it, you're just like, okay, does it work? Sometimes. Great. You know? But like when it does, yes. it's like, it's accurate. <laughs> exactly. Know? Like, when it runs, it runs. Staccatos and then, are great, man. Dude, they look great. They function great. Like, the the Wilson Combat, same same thing. Like, yeah. as consumers, we cannot, I mean, yes, we are, you know, we're part of the industry, but we're still, at the end of the day, we're consumers. And we sure. shop with our eyes, you know? This is I, how it works. I think that, you know, there is an aesthetic. I mean, gun making is, at the end of the day, an art. And mm-hmm. I think you're right. Like, guns have never looked cooler. Mm-hmm. And let's face it, like, when it comes to gun culture and the way that we look at how people perceive firearms, whether it's consumer that purchases firearms or whatever, right? Let's just look at it from the consumer standpoint, like you mentioned. Yes, you're absolutely correct that, you know, when we window shop, what do we look at? We look at the things that appeal to us the most when we look in the window, right? Whether it's, a, you know, your wife is at the jewelry store or you're at the, you know, you're riding by the, the car dealership and you're looking at the coolest looking cars. I mean, yeah, the wildest colors, the most interesting futuristic shapes. Mm-hmm. Many of those things catch our eye and we go, wow, that's really cool, right? I mean, imagine the first person that saw a Styrog for the first time. It's like, wow, you know, that's pretty futuristic. Yeah. And even by today's standards, the is still a pretty futuristic yeah, it's got gun. Like that flat green color, yeah. like it just looks, it Dude, looks gangster, it just man. Looks yeah. Dangerous, man. Yeah, I know <laughs> that's the thing. And guns have taken a much different place in our society. And without getting too much on this particular facet of this talk, I think it is relevant though to the progress of technology because as technology progresses, so does culture. So does the ambassadorship of the Second Amendment. So does our rights and responsibilities and all those things that make us who we are as gun people, right? And I think that guns. For many, especially younger folks, tend to be more of an accessory 
mm-hmm. uh, more of a flex. You know, hey, I'm going to post a cool bougie photo with some gear on the table, and you know, here here's my coolest new gun that I put together, or built, or whatever, or bought, whatever. And that's fine. Like if mm-hmm. that's an area of culture that's important because they want to feel like they're keeping up with the challenges of being relevant or whatever, that's all good and fine. I encourage that. I encourage people to buy firearms for the purposes of um, protecting themselves. But I think the Second Amendment culture in terms of living the Second Amendment every day, uh, I would just encourage younger folks that are purchasing guns just for the, maybe the aesthetics or the cool factor, you do need to get out and, and do some shooting. Yeah, actually some shoot it. <laughs> and like spend some time learning how to use your firearms and maybe select one tool out of your, your group of guns. Maybe you bought some cool stuff because you just liked it. Maybe you like those sexy H&Ks because the way they look and you just want to buy them for, because they look cool. But take one gun that you, you feel like you connect with the best and become a master of that pistol, like practice drawing, practice using it, and make sure that that you can protect yourself. Because at the end of the day, a firearm, while many of them are very cool and modern and unique, they are tools at the end of the day and should be treated as tools, and you should have the ability to use it as a tool. I mean, like, we don't buy a whole shed of tools just to look at them and say, all right, that, that hoe looks really cool on the wall right there. Hey ho! Yeah, it's a you nice, look cool on that wall n- over there. Nice choice of tool. You know, like <laughs> like I, I I don't buy my hoe and put it on the wall and go, well, there's a hoe. You use them. You use that hoe. You use that hoe. That's right. <laughs> I mean, but but that's the thing. Like, so that's the way I think it's just important to kind of mention there that you know it, it's cool to appreciate the aesthetic and function and beauty and engineering of guns that are modern because they're cool looking, but also understand that you need to be have the capability to use that tool in the way it's intended to be used. Yeah, absolutely. and do it safely and responsibly. And I mean, you know, it, it, that's where we're starting to see that, you know, you'll go out and you'll buy a, a great firearm. And then the first thing you do is you throw up a whole bunch of like, you know, titanium nitride barrels and you're getting like lightning cuts and you're getting, you know, compensators and yeah. you're getting all this titanium nitrate coloring. So you got like an orange barrel, like the unicorn, which is great. I Dude, those rolling specials, sexy. I love them, but let's use them, right? That, and, and what's cool though is that, that level of customization on mm-hmm. a pistol 20, 30 years ago would have only been available by sending a pistol to a very competent gunsmith to perform an entire battery of great really point. great work on the pistol. And you'd have to buy the base pistol, send it off, have the work done, wait, usually a pretty long time, and get the gun back. And then before you know it, bam, you've got a nice, awesome custom carry piece, right? Just like this row bar that's behind us right that's here, right. right? That's a custom row bar. That, that's a, a Kimber BP-10-2, double stack 45. I sent a row bar. They did their texture and their uh, their green uh, finish and everything. I mean, it's like, it's a great pistol, but that's not a gun that you can just go and buy. Like, that's a custom pistol. But what's cool about these changes in the technology is someone can buy an out-of-the-box race gun, like a Staccato, which is still a... Very nice hand built oh, pistol, my God, yeah. but it is available to just purchase, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so we're seeing the these situations where people like Wilson and the Staccatos and and you know all of these dudes that are like and ladies Armory that guys, are doing yeah. really great custom work on guns that you can just you can buy them and it's an out of the box, ready to go custom pistol. You would not have seen that thirty years ago. It oh, just yeah. wasn't as much of a thing. Guns were much more generic back then compared to what they are now, yeah. and it was much more of a you know you had to seek it out. Where by now it's super in the mainstream, which is kind of cool. Which is what you're seeing. Like not it. yeah, you're seeing that in, in firearms, and you, it's kind of tracking across even to, into automobiles. So you see like oh, the, yeah. like the Hellcats, the GTRs, the Shelby GT 500s that are they're race cars that are basically set to street mode, 
but <laughs> they have it built in like the GTRs as well. When you get near a racetrack, you get a little pop-up on the screen and it's like, do you want to go into race mode? Cause it's, assu- well, do I? <laughs> yeah, it's assuming you're taking that car to the track to run it on track day. So, but it only gives you that option when it, when you, when you get near the racetrack and it's like using the GPS sensor and then it'll pop up and allow you to do that. But I mean, the ability is just, you know, this, the way the consumer is now, it's like, oh, I want a race gun and I don't want to sit here and send it in and send it to three different companies to have them do the work. You got to send the, you got to send the slide into this company to get the cuts. You got to send, then you got to take the, the, send it to get the barrel ported, like just buy it as it is sure, and it'll run. And it's not like they don't do that anyway. Right. Like certain places may have to sub out certain processes. And they're not inexpensive. I mean, you're going to drop some serious coin when you start getting into like staccatos and like the higher end Wilson combats oh, yeah. and stuff like that. But they're nice guns. All right. So I want to segue to barrels a little bit because earlier when you mentioned barrels, it made me mm-hmm. think about this. Nice. And I want to show this off. It's kind of cool. Now, you just, just wanted to show it off. All right. Now, look, full <laughs> disclosure um, this particular rifle, I don't have an optic on it just yet. Uh, we're, we just got these back in. Um, so. I'm going to give some specs on this rifle, but what I really wanted to mention the most is this barrel that's on this particular rifle. Absolute here. unit uh, of a barrel. It is a carbon fiber wrapped, uh, carbon fiber tension barrel. Uh, so it cuts down on the weight a considerable amount. So it has the rigidity of a bull barrel, but mm-hmm. with the weight of a pencil barrel. And you picked this rifle up. I did, dude. It's, it was extremely surprising because I went, light. I went to like yank it up and I just literally just picked it up. It was, yeah. it's so, so light. this is a 6.5 Creedmoor and this, this barrel came from our friends at Helix 6 Precision. I uh, just wanted to give them a quick shout out. Oh, absolutely. Because, great work. so this is an example of, I mean, this is the future, right? Like, mm-hmm. all right. Well, so w- what are the challenges that we have to, I'm sorry. What are the challenges we have to confront? Okay, when it comes to furthering the cause of firearms technology. All right, so we can make it stronger and lighter, right? Those are the two things that we can do, right? Mm-hmm. We, we can make an, a process more efficient. We can make it take up less space. Uh, we can make heat dissipate better. We can use lighter materials that are stronger. So there's all these things, mm-hmm. right? Um, with this carbon fiber wrap tension barrel, um, it's not an extremely new thing, but it hasn't been around that long. It's mm-hmm. a relatively recent development, I would say probably within the last decade. But big shout out to Helix 6, and that's an example of new firearms technology. I think you're going to see more of the carbon fiber uh, tension barrels out there. Yep. Because it cuts down on weight. Well, and let's face it: like if you're going on a elk hunt, oh yeah, and you got to tow a rifle for a long way, pounds matter. Dude. Pounds start to feel like multiple pounds after a while. Dude, we've we've lived the life. We know what it's like to carry weight uh, long distances on yeah. your feet, and it absolutely sucks, man. So any way you can cut weight is much appreciated. Yep. And when you said light and strong, I wanted to say light, strong, and cheap. You can only pick two. Like you can't have, you can't have everything. So it's either going to be light and strong and it's not cheap. It's going to be light and cheap. It ain't going to be strong. Like you have to, you have to kind of figure out what your needs and wants are and base that next innovation off of that. Cause there are guys, you know, if you're just using that for hunting, you don't need it to be able to take more than five rounds and not heat up and start string on you. Because if you're using it for, I mean, either that or you're just a really bad shot and you're not hitting what you want, right? but you might want it to be strong. So you can, if it's more of a tactical scenario, you want that sustained fire, um, then you need it to be able to, you know, hold that heat or dissipate that heat. Um, The prices on these barrels are definitely what you consider a premium price for a barrel. Um, 
I'm not going to get prices because I don't know when you guys are going to be watching this video or when people are going to be tuning in. But, you know, your carbon fiber barrels are going to be anywhere from between six and a thousand, depending on the length, contour, mm -hmm. all of that sort of stuff. So they can be expensive. But to be fair, OK, a good quality match grade barrel from any reputable manufacturer, no matter who you buy it from, Lothar Walther. Now, the Lothar Walthers are a much more affordable barrel, but you start getting into some of the upper end stuff. Um, now, those barrels, yeah, I mean, they can be four to six hundred dollars. And then sometimes even require uh, cha finished chambering and everything like yep. that. Uh, I do like the AR barrels. And I know it goes without saying, it might be slightly outside of the context of this podcast, but the AR-15 has been a modern marvel in terms of its modularity. And people within the cottage industry continue to innovate in ways with the AR platform that blows my mind to this day. And it's kind of surprising to see a platform as old as the AR uh, continue to inspire people and continue to be a basis that is an effective platform to be built off of. Uh, one other thing I want to mention quickly on this particular rifle that I forgot to talk about a second ago. I just wanted to show off this stock as well. That is um, really, really neat, man. I yep. didn't see that. This particular GRS stock. Uh, so these are produced by our friends in Norway. And they're really cool because this particular stock, you can see it's got an offset. Mm -hmm. I don't know how well you can see that. But it actually factors in more of the human form. Like when you go to point your your arm, right? Like you don't you don't like make a distinctive movement to do this, right? If mm -hmm. I point, if I just point at that door, and don't think about it, and I and I and I look at you and point. All right, where's my arm? Mm -hmm. It's like this. It's going to have a turn in it. So they factor in that turn to accommodate uh, the human body instead of me having to accommodate this stiff and exacting, you know mechanism of a stock on yep. on some type of tactical stock now the gun is built around me as a person so when i'm laying behind this rifle in the prone i'm much more comfortable and um and and by proxy more effective well what i noticed is is that when you're in the prone the way that that stock is set up or the way that that uh, I'm not going to say pistol grip, it's more like a field stock. It, the way that it's set up is when you have your thumb on the same side, it's not causing your arm to pronate. So if you had like your traditional pistol grip, when you have to like put your thumb over, it kind of pronates your wrist this way, which is causing that rifle to cant. And you're not, you're having to fight that cant, you know, manually. You're like, all right, so I got to kind of twist my upper body to keep that rifle straight. The offset on that allows you to put your thumb around and you're, and it's putting your wrist and arm in a position where it's in line with the rifle. So it was pretty unique. I'll think about it. I mean, all right, look at the 75, for instance, here's a great example. Okay. This is just an old school CZ 75, mm -hmm. nothing fancy. This is an original CZ 75, an and, OG one. And it shows every bit of it. Right. And look at, so think about it. Imagine when pistols just had a like 90 degree, now, like, look at the early Colts. I mean, a lot of them, they're not very ergonomic pistols. Nope. And to think that, all right, all we need to do to make this thing slightly more ergonomic is just get that little bit of a, yep. you know, like of, an a, angle. of, a, of an angle, angle in yep. there. But, but it doesn't stop there. I mean, imagine if a company made a handgun. Sorry, Kermit. Oh, Kermit. I'll see imagine you. if a company made a pistol that integrated features of that GRS stock into a pistol design. So like when you point it, it's just so natural that it's like a part of your part of your body. It's essentially it's like almost like you're just pointing at whatever you're gonna yeah. whatever you're gonna shoot. Yeah. You know? And it allows that thumb to come around and not put tension on it. 
it was really unique. So if we have time, um, sure. I just want to talk about um, one of the more prolific innovations that didn't really take off, but I thought it was really unique. And it was the uh, the vector, Chris, like that, that Super V system. Yeah. Super innovative, man. But yeah. I mean, did it work? as it as well as everybody thought it did no but what did it do it allowed you to get two rounds on target simultaneously to me like that was you know everybody likes to run the the vector full auto like full out but that's not where it shines it shines in that two round like because i mean you're you're putting two rounds basically in the same hole like it was just super unique i i thought it was really really innovative you know how that whole system works yeah this the super v system it it is a crazy innovation in firearms, you know. And the reason that Chris chose to go with the 45 ACP originally because they figured, well, if we can tackle the recoil of 45 yes. ACP, we can do anything. Now, I've shot 9mm versions of the Vector, and it is awesome. So now, there's machine, no man. such thing as a free lunch in physics. You can't just delete recoil. That's not how it works. But that system, because the way the bolt drops down instead of pushing back, it definitely keeps the muzzle flip. I mean, like, it is so much more controllable than, like, mm-hmm. if you were to compare a Chris Vector in 45 ACP to a Thompson submachine gun, it's a night and day difference. Oh, yeah. Now, I can say I can shoot Thompsons quite well, but I'm also experienced with handling guns. But I can hand a Chris Vector to somebody who's never even shot a machine gun, and with a very tiny amount of instruction, they'll be quickly engaging mm-hmm. targets, no problem. Uh, it, it's a very intuitive system to use once you understand its operating premise. But that's a great, great one to mention. Yeah, that, that two round burst is where it's at. Now imagine yeah, if you, I do like the two yeah, round burst. Now imagine if you did like a something unique, like if you ported the barrel, like if you did like a magna port on the barrel, accompanied with that recoil system. Oh, dude, that would be so smooth, man. I don't know why nobody's done that yet. You, you can put compensators on. Yeah, yeah. Um, so most you, people run suppress. They suppress true. really well. Yeah. They, so, they suppress great. With that, a really, a really cool innovation was, and I just thought about this, the P90. I mean, like having like that, yeah. that like helical mag style where it's just really unique. Is it super practical? I mean, it could be, but just the innovation, even the look of it. I mean, yeah. it's really, really cool. The man. P90 is a sexy gun. It's not a modern gun, but, but mm-hmm. like the P90 kind of falls into that same territory as the AUG. Yeah. We're like, remember the first time you saw a P90 and you're like, what the heck is that? All right. I remember mm-hmm. when I first saw a P90, and, I, and I'm almost ashamed to admit this, but it was watching Stargate. Right? That's exactly what <laughs> I saw it at, man. And I was like, yeah. oh, man. <laughs> I remember seeing it in Stargate and thinking, what in the heck is that? And then I got research. And, oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. You know, I never knew what that was, but it is a really futuristic looking gun. And mm-hmm. I'm surprised that more hasn't been done with that platform because. Imagine how cool that would be with a 50-round mag of, like, 22-long rifle mm-hmm. uh, or something in 9mm. Um, without getting down the rabbit hole on this, because I don't want to do this in this particular podcast because we don't have this kind of time, but uh, when you look at the helical magazine used uh, in the... Uh, oh, uh, what the heck were those things called? Not Cobras, but it was another... PP Bison? Uh, no, it was another C, C word. I'll, I'll look up the company here. Mm-hmm. In a little bit, but there was a company that made this helical mag, crazy mm-hmm. wind up drum, nine millimeter type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, Calico. Ah, yeah. The Calico. Yeah. And they had 100 round drums for the Calico. I would love to see a similar type of technology integrated into the P90 platform. I think it would do really well, mm-hmm. especially if you could get a similar round count. Uh, the problems that the, the Calico suffered from the most was that it just wasn't very reliable. 
and the magazines were cumbersome to load and uh, they just didn't quite take off in the way that you know they really expected them to yep. but to be fair when the calicos came out they they were they were pretty modern i mean it was a, it was a pretty cool design it's an awesome idea yeah but um yeah man lots of cool stuff i mean if you go that's uh, so that's like just like recent innovations and then you start mm. getting into like shotgun innovations like a lot I, as far as shotgun ammunition you know it's relatively the same i mean you have some like outliers and stuff like that but they're all based off the same thing like foster slugs or double up buck yeah you know we had some cool like all of those exotic rounds like bolo rounds and like dragon's breath that's all nice and that's all cool it's really entertaining to to shoot but where you start to see like the innovations on technology function wise is like the box fed magazines, the semi autos, sure. stuff like the Benelli M4. It's not, I know it's not within the last decade, but it's picked up. It's one heck of a gun. Well, that, but it, it got a lot of, you know, I guess you could say it got a lot more stage time with being picked up by the Marine Corps. And then everybody's like, oh man, have you seen this combat? Like, it's been out for quite a while, yeah. but. The ability I mean, to eat, the ability to eat whatever you're putting in through it, that is the advancement. Being able to have that system cycle like that. Now the M4 is a fantastic system, yep. and in terms of shotguns, um, I feel like one of the most distinctive advancements that has been made in shotgun ammunition designs has to be that flight control wad from Federal. It's very good. I, I mean, like it. it. It's very great. accurate buckshot yeah, ammo. It patterns very it, well. It patterns great, and we've shot it out of so many different guns, and I just wish it was easier to get. Mm -hmm. I mean, like right now, it, it's been very difficult to locate uh, flight control ammunition. It, it is hard to get, but I do like the flight control buckshot from Federal. It's awesome, and there's a bunch of different SKUs. I think one's called the LE-132, uh, the law enforcement version. It's, mm -hmm. it's awesome. It's amazing. I, mean, I it's, love it. It's coming out at like 1350 like coming out of the barrel yeah. at 1350 for like buckshot. That's very good. When we were shooting the, um, the Benelli M4, <clears> I mean, it was patterning it and at 10 feet, it like a slug. Like when it was oh, hitting yeah. those plates, it was like, I was like, are we shooting slugs? Like I had yeah. to double check, to, double check to make sure it was buck, but it's pretty insane. Yeah. It was really good patterns. On and that. in terms of slug designs, uh, my favorite slug designs that have come out. Um, now this load has been around a while, but I don't know if it's been around more than a couple of decades, but I just want to mention it. I do like the Bernicke, uh, black magic, oh, uh, one and one three eighth ounce slug. It's what, uh, a lot of the forestry guys use mm -hmm. when they're doing guiding up in Alaska or if they're, you know, a lot of your uh, park rangers and things, I mean, they, they carry that for bear defense. And, I mean, that's it's a shotgun slug that will take down humanely a, a grizzly bear that's trying to kill you, which, you know, that for a 12-gauge load, that's, that's a tall order. But it is definitely the king of the hill in terms of shotgun slugs. Also, the Special Forces uh, Barrier Penetrator uh, is one heck of a shotgun slug. Mm -hmm. I like it a lot, and they're not that expensive. I will say also the High Brass Remington Number no. 4 Buckload, I really like that particular load. It's a great home defense load. Number four buckshot does mm -hmm. not over penetrate in walls nearly as bad. Um, so just in terms of loads, those are the ones I've settled in on. And uh, they're recent developments. Remington has been loading their number four buck load the longest, I think, out mm -hmm. of all those three shotgun loads. I love the Black Magics. Um, the issue that I love, is, uh, the issue I run into is that I love. It kicks hard. Well, <laughs> 
<laughs> you're you're limited to what you can shoot it out of because it won't cycle out. I guess a three inch shell, so it won't cycle out of most of your semi automas So like the Beretta thirteen oh ones, the the M fours. Those are two and three quarters. So I mean, you it'll pro- cycle. It's it, just gonna yeah. it's gonna beat you up. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, uh, as far if I remember correctly, the M four won't take three inch shells. You have to you can you can put them in manually like one at a time, but it's not gonna yeah, cycle. It's a two and three quarter. Yeah, it's not gonna cycle a three two, inch two shell. and three quarter inch chamber. It the will Benelli take the- Super Black Eagle that I have. It has a three and a half inch magnum chamber. Nice. And I run those Black Magics through yeah. it, and it eats them. Now the gun kicks. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's a hard kicking gun, but it's a lot of firepower. Now the altern the alternative to that is the um, the Special Forces Barrier Penetrators. Those are two and three quarters. Those will cycle out of yeah. almost any of your semi auto. I would like to field a couple of responses that I got on Twitter. So if you follow me over on Twitter, Iraq Veteran eighty eight eighty eight. Uh, I posted a question, and I wanted you guys to weigh in on what you felt uh, some of the coolest technologies were that we've had uh, recently and some of the mm-hmm. coolest advancements in firearms technology. Let's see if it lines up with what we thought. And let's see if it lines up, and maybe y'all thought of some stuff that we didn't. Oh, probably. Okay. okay. <clears throat> let's see. Metalhead. Metalhead says, uh, social media has had a huge impact on firearms technology. We are no longer beholden to gun nut mainstream media. We can talk directly with each other about firearms and get more people involved, which has driven innovation and concealed carry, miniature red dots, AR refinements, etc. Okay. This is true. That's true. Okay. Eagle ship. I can't say that. Eagle (laughs) ship, ship fire. Uh, I would have to say the introduction of piston ARs like the Ruger SR556 and the Adams Arms piston system, it has fixed some of the flaws in the AR platform, making it more reliable and cleaner to run. I I would agree. I think that is a pretty good good, uh, assessment. Pistons are great. Dan Parrish says, ammo is definitely up there. Before the price hike, ammo was affordable and relatively easy to acquire. The technology of ammo advanced rapidly as well. A 9mm competing with a 40 round, for instance. Hollow points are advanced, allowing for deep penetration and better bloom, better better expansion. Mm-hmm. And he's right. Like The advancements in technology and powder and projectile designs is unparalleled, and no longer are we beholden to, well, we have to run a 40 or a 45 because we yep. need the mass or we need a bigger round to feel like we're being more effective when um, 9mm bullet technology and the powders have push the nine millimeter into the forefront of defensive cartridges in a way that we could have never dreamed 50 years ago or something like that. And with the new federal super uh, 30 carry. uh, Now that's a cool idea. It's the same type of thing where they Mm -hmm. can take and fit more rounds in a magazine and get a cartridge that has pretty similar power to nine millimeter uh, while increasing capacity. That's kind of the vibe there. And and putting the lethality up above a 380, you know, so you're kind of getting that, that little compromise there. All right. Um, Tim Crane, most legit, says that red dots on pistols for passive IR use. Manufacturers are very competitive with prices and quality. People can shoot a lot further than ever before. Good point. I think red dots are. Structured okay. barrel from Carly Tarrock at Tacom HQ. The consumers are much smarter than we were before. You're right. As consumers become more mm-hmm. well-informed and more aware of the technologies that are out there, they're going to hold the manufacturers much more accountable to the products that they're buying because they, they see the cool stuff that all the, the Tier 1 guys are, are operating in the military, and yep. they want the same thing their heroes have. Larry Chipper says, for something that is on the actual firearm, maybe the echo triggers. Yep, echo triggers are cool. 
Uh, Kyle Dirk says, Polymer use, modularity, fire control, red dots, and concealment options to name a few. Trent Goldenblade says, the pistol brace, the fire control unit design like the P320. Yeah, we we called that. Great. Um, let's see. Mike says, 3D printers. Okay, we discussed 3D printers. And there's several other comments that people are mentioning 3D printers. Uh, You're Gonna Eat That says, affordable quality optics. That's a great yeah. point. Optics have never been better and more affordable than they are today. Yep. And Especially I, red dots. Well, I, I, I just wanted to, and I wrote that down. I wanted to just mention that that is something that we missed, but it's 100% true. The prolification of red dots on carry pistols, um, it, it changed the way that people like the comfort level of people carrying pistols. I know for myself, I, I'm not huge on, um, iron sights. I can shoot them, but when you put that red dot on there, I just feel a hundred percent more confident. Um, and it enables me to feel more confident when I'm carrying that I can pull this and I'm not kind of fishing for a, a drop in the bucket on, you know, the traditional sites, but you're able to acquire that sight picture and, and fire, you know, at will. Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely a huge enhancement, and and one could even say that optics on handguns in yeah. general have been much more prevalent in recent years than what they were, especially twenty years ago, two Agreed. decades ago. That would have never really been a thing. Two A D A O says optics are is most obvious tech advancement, but superset from actual firearm. Underrated, though, is DIY manufacturing kits, 80% kits, home printing, and information exchange of said kits, which we kind of hinted on. Yep. Another peaceful protester says, 3D printing, but if it weren't for pistol braces potentially becoming stocks, we would never have been able to make SBRs in common use. Also, YouTube spreading the gun community. That's true. We've never had more discourse in the public environment related to guns and talking about firearms than we've had mm -hmm. with the advent of like YouTube content, which is arguably, yes, only been a thing of the last 20 years. I can't believe we missed pistol braces. Yep. That, braces are awesome. Yeah. I love them. Yep. Uh, Daniel Church says, optics technology, in my opinion, not just in materials, but in reticle design, BDC, uh, where they're made, et cetera. Um, uh, that's correct. Yeah. Right. Look at the work that ACSS is doing. You know, uh, Dimitri over at ACSS is making some awesome reticles and yeah. primary arms is putting those reticles in some very affordable optics that, you know, allow even a shooter that doesn't want to spend a ton of money, the ability to engage targets at mm -hmm. long range with really well put together reticles. I would just say that with red dots on pistols, you have to be just do your due diligence because there's a ton of them out there that don't hold zero. And the last thing you want is to zero your your firearm, put it in the holster, and when you need it, pull it out and that it shifted. Because there's mm. there are I'm not naming names, even though it should be, there are companies out there that that is very prolific. It happens all the time. And that's most of like the absolute bottom of the barrel yeah. cheapest ones. I mean, like uh, so those Sig Romeos that we uh show off on Twitter all the time, we put the links in there and all. Those optics hold up great. Mm -hmm. Like, we've beat up on them. They work great. They come with the uh, lower third witness mount, so you can mm -hmm. mount them flat or on the, you know, a third uh, co-witness. I mean, they're they're great little optics, and they've held up really great mm -hmm. for us. And for what they cost, I think they, they represent a, a mm -hmm. good value. They, they did a good job of putting that price point. They're very similar to like PSA did on firearms. They're just trying to make an, a good, affordable optic. Now, is it, you know, top tier, you know, 
RMR type stuff? No, but that's not necessarily what you need. Um, you might not need. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to make that decision for you. That's <laughs> <I'm> fine. Not. <laughs> okay. So Chubbs six says magazine fed shotguns. And that's, that's kind of yeah. banking what, what you said. Uh, that market needs to be expanded beyond either the Turkish or Gucci being the only options. That's correct. Yeah. So like you either can buy a really awesome origin 12. That is a mm-hmm. fantastic box fed shotgun or like a Vepr, like I've got back here. Um, you know, or you can buy in the Turkish ones, you know, and they're, they're hit or miss. I, I've heard good and bad things. I haven't ran like the gambit of every single one that's out there. Cause mm-hmm. it seems like when you go to any random gun store, they've got a pile of random Turkish made shotguns and it's kind yeah. of almost impossible to know what's good and what isn't without vetting them all. And mm-hmm. to be quite frank with you, I haven't mm-hmm. even shot any of them. So I, I can't speak to their quality or mm-hmm. not, but Mr. Guns and Gear has, um, there was one company brought in like a Benelli M4 clone. I saw that it was Turkish yeah. made. And from what I've heard from Tim and Mike over at Guns and Gear, they seem to be holding up pretty good. Well, seven, uh, you know, seven hundred four tactical. He did a. It was the same thing. It was like the Benelli M4 clone Turkish, yeah. and it performed very well. What I will tell you is that don't sleep on Turkey as far as arms manufacturing goes. People might associate Turkey with being like you know low rent bottom barrel, but they have been in the shotgun manufacturing industry for. Ever. I mean, they, they have the capability to make quality shotguns. They don't do rifles that, but I think it just might be like a, a government thing, but they've been making top tier shotguns for quite a while. Um, and they have a huge manufacturing industry for shotguns in Turkey. Like it's huge there. All right. Last comment. Uh, Kiluxium says the Holosan multi reticle. It makes red dot sites usable for people with astigmatism. That's, that's why I use it, honestly. I use a Holosun 509C. Um, I think that they were one of, you know, people, you know, for all intents and purposes, talk down on Holosun. They think it's a Chinese company. Um, it's an American company. The owner is American. He's, he's a Chinese American that lives in America. They, they're made in China, obviously, like, like a lot of optics are. Um, but they perform very well. I've never had any issues out of it. Hold zero battery tray on the outside. Um, I don't have to remove the optic to to change the battery. I don't feel like having to re-zero it. I have an astigmatism, so it works great. Mm-hmm. Um, it's solar. I mean, it, it, it checks all the boxes. I'm a huge fan of it. One thing that I can appreciate about those optics as well, I, I really do like the shake awake technology. Yes. I mean, it, so like it'll, it'll put it in standby. So you're not killing your battery. So it gives mm-hmm. the, the optic a tremendous battery life. And especially all right, even if the battery's dead when you're outside, it can it can take in light. I mean, and that was one of the things I always appreciated so much about the ACOGs because they were such a usable and ready-to-go optic that with with the combination of the LED versions with the batteries and the fiber optic, mm-hmm. it really does make it a uh, you know, full-time use day or night optic that's ready and you know it's always going to be there. And I I have always been partial to the ACOGs, but I do like those Holosons for that reason as well. So uh, we are kind of getting close on time. We're going to be wrapping up here in a second. Um, but I think we went over a lot of awesome technology. Dude, this, I mean, I think we, I mean, what we didn't hit the, the they actually yeah. brought it up. And Did we miss something? Let us know down in the comment section below. And maybe what we can do in another month or two, we'll let this uh, video slash podcast uh, sort of marinate a little bit, if you will. And we'll go through some of the comments and maybe we'll read some of your comments in a future podcast. So stay tuned for that. And uh, I think that, you know, necessity is a mother of invention, but 
innovation also fuels competition and competition uh, fuels innovation. Those two things feed yep. each other in a never ending uh, path. Right. And I think it's awesome that the gun owner at large in the U S and abroad, but primarily, I guess we're talking about the U S has never had better options for cool tech to protect themselves with. Never have we yes. had such a cottage industry of ever changing products and accessories and customizability and things like that. So I think we're living in some really unique times and, and maybe quite frankly, the apex. Uh, I, I don't know where we could go from here other than uh, discovering some really insane alloy that cuts the weight of an AR by, you know, 80% or something like that. Right. But Anyway, I digress. It's interesting to see what science fiction we're going to dream up and turn into reality in the future in terms of gun technology. So exciting times to live in for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'll just add on to that while we're wrapping up is that it's never, like you said, it's never been a better time to be a consumer. Um, it's also never been a better time social media wise to be able to get the industry to make what you want. So if you look yeah. at all the innovation, it came from people posting stuff on Instagram Hey, you know, especially with carry optics, people like, they're like, wow, all these, uh, you know, people posting on IG or, you know, Facebook or whatever, they all have optics on their guns. So what did that lead to? That led to people optics cutting the guns and then selling them because they realized that that's what the people want. So the more that we're showing off what we think is cool, they're going to take it and say, well, let's just give it to them. I'm not going to lie, as a guy who grew up shooting iron sights on pistols my whole life, you know, when I first got exposed to red dot sights on pistols, it took me a little bit of a learning curve to kind of get used to them. But once you understand them and kind of get behind them a bit, uh, they do definitely increase your effectiveness and the speed in which you can shoot, the shot recovery, and all those mm -hmm. things. Um, it does allow you to shoot faster and I'm not going to say maybe as accurate, but certainly quicker and acquire targets faster and and. It is cool. And it gives I you a bigger like field of view. I mean, you're able to hold that, that gun up and you're able to see everything. You're not kind of like zoning out and getting tunnel vision just on those iron sights. You're just looking at the dot and That's the bullet's right. going to go where the dot is. So simple. Yep. It, it, it does <laughs> if you do your part, the, the guesswork yeah, out of if it. If you do your part. Well, uh, I hope everyone has had a great week and we'll have a great week next week. Uh, we try to post every single uh, week here on Iraq Veteran 8888 with our LLP episodes. And of course, check us out on all of the other podcast forums. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, ba basically anywhere podcasts are found, uh, you'll find the LLP. And go on there and leave us a great review. It helps us show up in the search results a little bit better. Also, if you're watching today's video here on YouTube, remember, or, or if you're listening, uh, go over to RMA, use the code IV8888. You can self save yourself 10% if you want to pick yourself up some snazzy new body armor. Uh, definitely a great passive way you can protect yourself. Uh, they've got some great value there on their website. Check them out. And also, go over to Ballistic Inc. and pick yourself up a new t-shirt. That's one way you can support our podcast and the channel if you wish. Uh, anything else for us, Matt? Nope. Great, great show. I was, I mean, we, I think we nailed it. Nailed it. I think so, man. <laughs> Look, I hope everybody has a wonderful week yet again. We'll see you soon. Many more podcasts on the way. See you, everybody. Thanks for listening to Life, Liberty, and Pursuit. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are found. Be sure to leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate that. You can support us over on Ballistic Inc. by picking yourself up some merch. And remember, guys, dangerous freedom. Have a good one.